Okay, Nigel, you have a lot of tattoos. Yeah. What's the first tattoo that you ever got? I have a, it's a little um, vampire guy. Your sigil? On my, yeah, my sigil. <laughs> <laughs> my sigil um, on my, the, my inner bicep on my right arm. That's the first tattoo that you That's ever the got. first tattoo I got. Why did you get that tattoo? Um, because I had been, so it's a vampire. It's a right. little vampire, like sort of a, uh, I don't know, like a line drawing of a vampire head with big long fangs. Um, and uh, I'm really into scary movies, has been established on multiple episodes. <laughs> and so I was doing some graffiti tags of, a, of this symbol um, mm-hmm. for a couple of years before I jumped into actually putting it permanently on my skin, but um, originated with horror movies, jumped to graffiti, now it's on my arm. So it's a symbol that means something to yes, you on a lot of personal. different levels. Yeah. But I mean, you could like have just put it on a piece of paper and like hung it in your house. What made you want to get it tattooed on your body? Yeah, I've actually thought a lot about that. And I, I think it's making that commitment to this symbol as a representation of who I am. As silly as a line drawing of a vampire head is as a representation of who I am. But I, I wanted to make the commitment to represent this this icon, this symbolic um, representation of Nigel that I've been putting all over doors and mailboxes and newspaper stands and then you put it on you yeah and then i put it on me (laughs) what about you what's your first tattoo my first tattoo is on my wrist and it's words and it says keep digging it's on my digging my right arm wow what's that all about i don't know well i wanted to i wanted to get a tattoo it's my 30th birthday and I guess I wanted to start out small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I thought it was kind of funny because it's on my right hand. So it always reminds me to, to keep trying and to mm. keep keep doing what I'm doing. Don't like give up on it. Yeah, that's awesome. And you're an archaeologist. And so. I'm an archaeologist. Yeah. So that works too. <laughs> well, I mean, do you think tattoos, do we get them for ourselves or do we get them for other people? Yeah, I don't know. These are literally questions that I sometimes think about when I'm standing in line at the grocery store. And everybody's got tattoos now. Tattoos Mm -hmm. are pretty common. I don't know. I don't know why we do that. That's a really good question. I I think it's both. I think it's absolutely both. In my opinion, and for me, part of the reason why I get tattoos is to make an impression on people that I encounter. But then also, they're on my body. And when I'm standing in the mirror, I'm the only one looking at them. So... Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I think it's both. Yeah, and I think even if every tattoo that you have is just like a piece of flash, like that, you know, is from a flash sheet from the tattoo artist wall and, you know, a million other people have it. Or if you're someone who every tattoo you have is like totally custom and you're the only person that has that tattoo, which is probably almost impossible because <laughs> there's so many tattoos in the world. They all... Yeah, they all say something unique about us because they're yeah. like on our body. So they tell they tell a story that's personal to us and then they tell a story that we're projecting like out into the world too. Yeah. Aside from Halloween, this has probably been one of my most anticipated episodes because we are going to stick with a topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> we're going to 
poke at yeah, one. We're going to poke at something. Material culture. We are going to pose the question to our guests and to, I guess, our listeners and to ourselves. And to ourselves. Yeah. Are the tattoos themselves material culture? Yes. Is a tattoo an object of material culture? Yeah. So, listeners, um, go ahead and kick that around. Yeah, so in our episode today, we're going to be looking at tattoos through the lens of archaeology. You know, we know that people in the past made tattoos and got tattoos, but how do we see that archaeologically? Is it possible to see that? What have archaeologists found that speaks to tattoo culture in the past? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to delve into that. We have some wonderful guests um, that are going to be on this episode. The material culture of tattooing. That's that, kids. Stick around. (laughs) Um, I know you're on pins and needles. Yes. Hear more (laughs) about it. Would you consider the tattoo itself to be material culture. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally. Uh, in my head, I just, when I think material, I just think, I don't know, people collections of everything. Mm-hmm. So, collecting the Star Wars on their skin or whatever. Yeah, I think that's probably more of a ceremonial thing. Each person has that different approach to it, so I can, I can see where that's more of a ceremonial come there. Welcome to the Materialist Podcast, episode 11. Is it 11? It's 11. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Time flies when you're making podcasts. Yep. We got some coffee here. Yeah, that's important. Coffee's good. Keeping keeping a little pep in our step. Today- Gotta stay sharp, you know? Yeah. Stay sharp. Gotta stay sharp. Okay, so I am Nigel Rudolph, Public Archaeology Coordinator in the Central Region of FPAN, and you are Miss... And I'm Becky O'Sullivan. I'm the Public Archaeology Coordinator at the FPAN West Central Office, which is in beautiful Tampa, Florida. Yep, beautiful Tampa, Florida. We are again in Gainesville recording today, and it's a lovely day, and it's about 85 it degrees. It is literally 85 <laughs> degrees outside. And, uh, probably 90% humidity. Yeah. Uh, but Just put the sweaters away. Yeah, don't need them no more. Don't need them, but maybe tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> Okay, Miss Becky. Okay, Nigel. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a ton of things on our plate for this episode. We are going to be covering so much of tattoo material culture, 
As we established earlier, of course, we are going to be talking all things tattoos today, the past of tattooing, the present of tattooing, and maybe the future of tattooing. So we're going to go ahead and jump straight into our first interview here. Um, following that, I have an, I had a nice uh, conversation interview with a contemporary tattoo artist here locally in Gainesville um, the other day as he was tattooing me. So I'm going to bring some audio from that as well. And so let's get into it. Coming at you. Aaron Dieterwolf, welcome to the Materialist Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And why don't you um, introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. So uh, my name is Aaron Dieterwolf, and I am the prehistoric archaeologist for the state of Tennessee's Division of Archaeology in Nashville. We are part of the Department of Environment and Conservation, uh, part of the state government. And um, right now, there are about 11 of us here in the Division of Archaeology. Mm. Uh, the state archaeologist, Mike Moore, is getting ready to retire, so there will then be 10 of us. And uh, that will make me the only prehistoric guy working at the state level. Really? Oh, wow. you know, for those, uh, those 15,000 or so prehistoric sites that we have recorded across <laughs> the state, that's, oh, uh, that's going to land on me. That'll be great. That's a big, <laughs> stack. That's a big stack of paperwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> what prompted your interest in the archaeology of tattooing? How did you uh, jump down that rabbit hole? Yeah, I mean, it has been a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, so this interest started... And probably 20 years ago, uh, sitting around on a, on a dig site at lunch and, you know, archaeologists comparing their new tattoos, right? <laughs> um, you know, and our, all archaeologists have tattoos, whether they're rock art or whether they're Maya glyphs. You know, it's usually something people have studied along the way. Um, anyway, and just, you know, talking tattoos at lunch one day and realizing that, you know, at this one dig site, at this one excavation, we had probably a century of cumulative archaeological experience, right, sitting around at lunch. And that none of us had ever identified a tattoo tool in any of the archaeological collections or excavations that we'd looked at. And, you know, you step back and think about that a little more. And, you know, we have this, this really vivid historical record, particularly for the American Southeast, particularly for, for Florida, where you all are, right? Yeah. So, you know, when the Spanish first show up in Florida, one of the first things they say is, the Native Americans are tattooing their bodies. And of course, they don't, they don't use the word tattoo. That's not introduced into our lexicon until um, after Cook's voyages to the Pacific. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they describe pricking the skin with sharp objects and rubbing pigment into that skin and how then the pictures never go away, right? You can tell it's tattooing. Mm -hmm. And you have that same pattern of descriptions, you know, from Florida all the way up through Newfoundland, all over the eastern seaboard. So we know that at the time of European contact, numerous Native American societies are tattooing, but then you step back and look at that archaeologically, and then there's this absence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, we find millions of pointy objects in the archaeological record, <laughs> stone or whether they're bone. You know, we wave our hands at them and we're like, oh, you know, those are needles or they're awls or they're scrapers or spoke shaves or gravers or whatever, and you know, we categorize them. That's what we have to do as scientists to study mm -hmm. them. But as a kind of material culture guy who also is tattooed, this sort of got in my head, right? Mm. This idea that we are missing an entire class of material culture. Mm -hmm. And with that, we're missing this whole view on something that was very important to Native society. 
And that, again, if you look at the histories and the ethnographies, you know, this was not something that was done just as decoration, right? They were not walking into a shop and picking an image off the wall and getting it done. Right. These were things that, you know, were connected to how they saw themselves in the world, how they saw themselves in the universe, how they reacted and interacted with one another in their society. So really fundamentally important stuff that we're blind to. Right. Right. And, you know, as an archaeologist, then that's, that's troubling. Yeah. Um, and so this sort of launched me on this sort of research quest to then look at why we're missing that archaeologically, how we can fix that situation. And from there, it sort of spiraled into all of these different projects because it turns out this same issue is a global one, right? It's not just Native North America or the American Southeast. All over the world, we know that all of these different societies were tattooing. Ancient Egypt, we know they were tattooing mm -hmm. in ancient Egypt. We have literal mummies with tattoos, <laughs> but we don't know what tools they were using to do that yet. Mm -hmm. right. And so this is sort of this global absence, and it's just sort of turned into this, this sort of side hustle for me, right? It's, it's all, <laughs> all of a sudden I have a niche. And, uh, you know, every, every, about a year, every year or so, I think, oh, that's, that's probably about all I have to say about that. Right. <laughs> and then something completely new happens. And you're like, yeah. oh, now I'm looking at Indian mummies. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> it's a hell of a side hustle with like, uh, what, two books, multiple articles. I mean, <laughs> yeah. There, 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 apparently there was, there was an opening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and why do you think that, there, that tattooing was never a consideration to archaeologists? Do you think it was related to ethnocentrism or just not considered at all? There's a lot of things happening that sort of intersect, I think, because if you go into the older literature, you can pick up, you know, French, French analyses of Upper Paleolithic sites that were written a century or more ago and occasionally find them point to pointy bone objects and say those are probably tattoo images. Mm -hmm. But it just, for whatever reason, never gets traction. Or when people do identify possible tattoo implements, they tend to historically liken them to the tools being used in the, in the Pacific, which uh, are those very distinctive, you know, perpendicularly hafted tools that are hammered yeah. into the skin using a mallet. But sort of in the European and I think the Western mindset, traditional Pacific tattooing became sort of synonymous with ancient tattooing. Right. And so that's what people were looking for was this ancient perpendicularly hafted technology. And, you know, now we've looked at this enough that we can say, well, there are actually differences in the tool construction all around the globe, right? You know, what, what's, what's good for one society is not good for the other. And you have to, you know, understand these bigger patterns. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of it is a, a issue of the old academics, not themselves being tattooed. Yeah. Right. Um, not having experienced the process, not, not understanding what the technology might look like. And so, you know, you have some identifications of possible tattoo tools out there that are frankly kind of crazy. <laughs> um, you know, where today you'd look at that thing and be like, no, dude, like, why would you possibly think someone would use that? But, you know, at the time period, they didn't, they just, they didn't know any better. Right. Um, then there's that, you know, like, how does it not end up in museums? You think back to like the classic museums, the dioramas, right? The reconstructions of ancient life. And they almost always have people who are naked or largely naked, right? Dressed in traditional attire. <laughs> and their bodies are never marked. They're never mm -hmm. painted. They were never tattooed. They were never decorated. So, you know, even though this was maybe sort of in the, in the spectrum of what people were considering, it wasn't making it into the interpretive materials that were getting out there to the public. Mm -hmm. um, throw onto that the question of differential preservation. 
Yeah. A lot of the tools that are being used may not survive. If you're using thorns or something else botanical, it may not survive to be found. If you're using very small bones, they're going to fall through a quarter inch archaeological screen. You're just never going to find them. Right. And then there's just misidentifications, right? The fact that we, we look at a pointy bone object and say, oh, well, that's used for working hides. Mm-hmm. And then that's all, all, ha-ha, <laughs> Right? So this is this sort of sub-question then is how can we get into existing identifications and maybe revisit them? Um, and that's sort of where my work then has gone is these questions of, of both context, you know, looking at the original archaeological context to try to set up the framework for how you might, you know, what might set off alarm bells for this should be considered as something possibly related to tattooing. And then also the, the direct physical evidence, right? What is the microscopic use wear pattern mm. that says this tool is definitely X as opposed to Y? Leading right into that, in your chapter for shaman priest practice belief, you mentioned the mechanisms by which tattoo material culture might survive into the archaeological record tool repair or deliberate interment. Could you talk a little bit more about that? And also, I think it's really interesting how you talk about it's not just the like the tattoo needle itself, but the the whole grouping of material culture that goes along with tattooing and the patterns we need to look for to define those things. Sure. Yeah, that, that idea of the tattoo toolkit is something I sort of fell into a couple years ago in looking at the, the context of the thing. You know, that's something that we can project into the modern day, right? Like tattoo machines today don't travel by themselves. They have, you know, you have all of the components of that machine, but then you also have the workstation and the pigment and the chair and all of these different things. Right. And, you know, that that is something that goes back into the past. If you look at the comparative ethnographic data, Anywhere in the world that you go, pretty much, you have these accounts of not just the implements themselves, but also then the suite of material culture. And, you know, the biggest one of those is the pigments, of course. Mm-hmm. But then associated with that are all of these other different aspects, right? You don't, you don't have just the tools. You have the, the tools to manufacture those tools, to resharpen those tools. You have the, um, in some cases, the, the bundles or the containers that these things travel in. And... All of this becomes really important because, uh, particularly in Native North America, but, but really all over the globe, you know, tattooing is tied to these really important processes, right? To coming of age, to, you know, being connected to otherworldly forces, uh, being initiated into societies. So the people that are doing the tattooing themselves have elevated social status, Mm-hmm. Um, they are, you know, they are the medicine men, the shaman, the priests, older women. Um, in many societies, older women are the ones doing the tattooing. Um, you, you know, you have these intersecting uh, technological abilities, but also then, you know, when you have the letting of blood combined with the social and ritual importance of what's happening, that's not just going to be some dude on the street doing it, right? right? <laughs> right yeah. specialist who does this thing, who's handling issues like infection as well as issues like you know, the liminal passage of your consciousness from childhood to adulthood, right? right? You have this whole kit and caboodle. Anyway, so you start looking then at, at the context. And that I think is, you know, is critically important for trying to figure out where these things are archaeologically. Because, you know, it would be great if we could put every single bone tool under the microscope and look at its use wear. But there's just not enough time or money to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So instead, you can sort of step back and say, well, what are the things that you should have to find with a pointed tool, a bone tool, a possible tattoo implement of any kind 
to identify it as being used for tattooing. And of course, the biggest one of those is pigment. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be awesome if you could find the pigment on the tool itself. Again, differential preservation, sometimes that happens and sometimes not. Right. And so, you know, so when you step back and think about then the archaeological context of that, you know, there's sort of that dichotomy, I think, you know, tool resharpening, right? When, when tools get old, they are resharpened, they are reworked, they are cast aside, new tools are made. And then there's deliberate interment, where the tools themselves are put into the ground whether with people or sometimes just on their own, because they are fundamentally important material objects, mm. right? So, um, you know, getting into the 19th and 20th centuries on the plains, we have this whole class of sacred bundles that are tattooing bundles that are used by plains tribes. You know, listeners may have heard of like war bundles or medicine bundles. Right. Tattooing bundles were one of those bundles. Mm -hmm. It's it's in the same literature, but again, it hasn't it hasn't been presented publicly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those wraps, those containers, all of the objects that were in them, they had agency. You know, they were that important. And so only certain people could use them and only certain people could be trained to use them. And in the event that a bundle keeper died and no one had been trained to use that, it was done with. No one could successfully or safely take up that object. And so the object itself might then be buried in the ground the same way a person would. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, once you, once you sort of establish those frameworks, then you look out into the archaeological record and you start finding possible, possible correlates for these things. You hit the nail on the head. What sort of the basis for our podcast is do objects have agency? Um, and so thank cool. you for mentioning that. <laughs> that was perfect. Um, but I was sort of blown away when I was reading your chapter about just the, the regalia and everything that was put inside of these tattoo bundles as well. And then trying in my mind as somebody who's got to thinking about all the different tattoo artists that have tattooed uh, me and trying to think about their regalia and some kind of ceremonial aspect to the process. And I think there is to some degree. And, you know, they were probably all wearing black t-shirts. Um, so maybe that, <laughs> maybe there's the regalia, but. Well, yeah, there are a lot of direct correlates. Yeah. That when you start thinking about it, like for example, um, you know, a lot of artists that I know have collections of older tools, you mm -hmm. know, tools that belong to um, you know, the person that taught them to tattoo or, you know, people, people love having, uh, you know, old iron, right. You know, things that were used in the twenties or the thirties, right. the golden age of American tattooing. Well, you know, the same thing is happening prehistorically here in North America, we think where, you know, the tools in several instances, we can show that the tools were believed to have been handed down to the ancestors by certain otherworldly forces, hmm. right? So the Thunderers literally gave your ancestors this tattoo bundle. Mm -hmm. And then over time, of course, the pieces get repaired or replaced or, you know, it's not literally the same objects anymore, but it still holds that importance. Mm -hmm. right. And so, yeah, that object is then passed down to the next keeper, to the next keeper, to the next keeper. And, and I think you sort of see that in modern tattoo apprenticeships too. You know, lineage sure. continues to be important who you can trace your your lineage and where you learn from back to has a lot to say in, in what you do and why you do it. You were talking about, you know, tattoos as like rite of passage and that sort of ritual. But I think it's interesting too. Tattoos were also like medicine that they were used for, for healing or for, you know, different kind of uh, medicinal practices as well, it seems like. Definitely. all in, in different places all across the world too. And the records of those are not as, are not as numerous in different places at different times, you definitely have records of medicinal or therapeutic tattooing. And some of that is tied into the spirituality. Right. Uh, right. You know, in the Arctic traditions, putting tattoos on the joints 
prevented evil spirits from coming into those mm-hmm. joints. But, you know, there's also arguably a direct therapeutic correlation there too, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the joint may be feeling pain because of the evil spirits entering the joint, but then there's also the, you know, the physical aspect of what is causing that pain and the tie to acupuncture that, you know, treating it in a certain way relieves that pain. And of course, some of the, if not the oldest tattoos we know about now are Utsi the Iceman. Mm-hmm. Right whose tattoos have been argued to be entirely medicinal or therapeutic. I'll, f- I'll fight you on that, by the way. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't think the final word on that is out. Right. Um, but that's, that, that, that may be a side rant we don't <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Maybe he just wanted to look cool for the ladies, yeah. you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you know I, for me, it comes down to this idea that, like, just because we don't understand what a ancient designer motif means doesn't mean it's not symbolic sure absolutely right so like a set of six parallel lines just because we can't from our modern perspective understand what it is that that references in his world doesn't mean that they were just a therapeutic treatment for him Right. Right. right 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 Yeah, I mean, I've often thought of that same point when looking at ceramics, uh, prehistoric ceramics and some of the design qualities on some Southeast ceramic. Yeah, but like all those things are bound up together as well. It's not necessarily one or the other. It's spiritual, but also therapeutic and and also all these other things. Yeah, that I think is the the critical thing to acknowledge, right? Whether it's ceramics or, um, you know, tattoos or whatever, is that from where we sit, it's easy to draw these lines in the sand and be like decorative, non-decorative, iconographic. But but that's not how it worked for the people who who made them and wore them and used them and what have you. Talk a little bit more about how ethnography and the historical record is kind of helping you interpret the prehistoric tattoo process or bundles. And I know when when the Europeans got here, Native American culture kind of got a massive wrench thrown into it. And so things changed dramatically very quickly in some places. But talk a little bit more about the, you know, what ethnographic historical data is kind of giving you to understand what was happening before Europeans. Sure. Yeah. And this is, this again, is sort of a global thing, right? So, you know, once we have that that sort of Western missionizing influence anywhere in the world, whether it's the Pacific or whether it's, you know, the Americas, from the perspective of tattooing, a couple things happen. You know, one is that the traditional belief systems are repressed. And since tattooing is usually a part of that, it becomes one of the things that is taken away, right? The same way that traditional body decoration or um, plain headdresses or, you know, one of the first things that happens is they're told to dress like Westerners. And so, you know, body decoration goes away. But also before that, you have the introduction of metal needles. Mm -hmm. And, you know, metal needles replace indigenous technologies all around the world in a way that, you know, I don't know that there's another class of material culture that that happens to, where it's just such an overnight shift. Mm -hmm. Immediately, the old ways are cast aside and pretty much forgotten. And so that's where those ethnographies really come into play, right? Is these particularly, um, you would really need to go at this point back, you know, half a century or so and look at these early ethnographic accounts and early discussions with sort of the last generation of living tattooed elders, where you sort of then begin to pick up these hints of, you know, what, what tools were there before the metal needles arrived? And mm-hmm. why, were these, why were these designs put on their bodies? And in some cases, that's really difficult because you're taking, for example, the Eastern Woodlands here in North America, 
that shift is so rapid Mm -hmm. that, you know, by the mid 1700s or so, the tattoo traditions have just suffered this complete historical rupture. And so we have very little elder knowledge to go back to, to explore that. It's a little better in the, in the plains, it's a little better in the Southwest and the, the West coast, but oftentimes you run into this situation where the ethnographic data that's available to you is from, again, the last generation of tattooed elders, but they themselves never tattooed, if that makes right. any sense. Yes. They were the last ones who had the marks put on their bodies while they were children usually, mm-hmm. but they were then never privy to you know, the, um, the methods and the rituals and that whole context because they were not yet adults who could be a part of that practice. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we have sort of these multiple forces working against us when we try to construct it. But, but yeah, the traditional knowledge is, you know, is, is essential to this thing. We talked about the material culture surrounding tattoos, you know, making tattoos. And, um, but do you think of tattoos in themselves as material culture? Boy, that's interesting. I mean, when they preserve on human skin, they sure are, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, so this, this fall, I, uh, I went up to an uh, esteemed East Coast institution to look at a couple of museum collections. And they had in their collection a box that was helpfully labeled Tattooed Mummy Arms from Anson Peru. Uh. <laughs> it was as advertised. Right? Oh, gosh. So, so at that point, yes, they are 100% part of the material culture. Yeah, I mean, I think they would be, right? Along with any sort of, you know, any sort of regalia or identifying information. You know, all the things that you wear, anything that you project into the society to show who you are mm-hmm. and how you fit in and how people should look back at you. Right. right. I mean, that gets into that fundamental, like, when do humans become human mm-hmm. sort of question. Right. And I, you know, I, I think that because of that, right, I think that we could make an argument that tattooing is one of those very, very early human activities. Certainly body painting is. Yeah. And anything that's done temporary is better when you do it permanently. Sure. Right. So sorry, I guess that doesn't really answer your question, but no, I, I, that's 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 uh, that's out of left field. I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, a good one. Yeah. Do you see in contemporary Native American culture any kind of continuation or reinvestigation of a lot of the old quote unquote old ways of tattooing? Yeah, all over North America, there are people. I mean, literally all over North America, right from Mexico City up to the sub the circumpolar regions. There are uh, native practitioners who are part of these revival movements. And as part of that, they're, you know, they're relearning the techniques, they're relearning the traditions, um, they're, they're imbuing those things with new significance. Mm-hmm. Because of course, you know, we don't live in the same world anymore than right. we lived 500 years ago. And so certain things like, you know, earning your tattoos and as marks on the battlefield, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You can you can no longer take a jaw and therefore be tattooed with a certain Hopefully. a certain motif. And so, sort of part of this process is recontextualizing those marks into you know things that have modern importance and modern significance. Let me jump in here right quick. I want to play a clip from Al Jazeera, who did a YouTube documentary called Ancient Ink, and I'll put all of that information, the link to it, in the show notes. But it's dealing with exactly what. Aaron was just speaking about this resurgence of traditional Native American tattooing in the United States. So let me play that and we'll get right back to the interview. When I tattoo people, 
It gives them a sense of identity and strength. Our tattooing was a form of adornment and our, our permanent makeup was our way to, to feel beautiful and look beautiful. My name is Marjorie Tabone, and I am helping revitalize the ancient art of traditional Inuit tattooing. All of my tattoos have meaning that's deep to me and to my family, and that's how all tattoos that I give are. I do two techniques. One of them is called hand poking or stick and poke, and that's where you have the needle and you dip it in the ink and then you puncture it into the skin. I use our other ancient technique of skin stitching uh, with needle and thread and that's where you have a needle that's threaded and I use cotton string and you dip the string in the ink and then you pass the needle through the skin in and out. It's a little bit more painful than the poking, huh? Even though we've had tattooing since time immemorial, thousands and thousands of years, Revitalizing it and bringing it back is still new. Traditional Inuit tattooing, the meanings vary from place to place. Inuit women have always received traditional chin tattoos. Usually always meant when uh, a woman became of age. The most important thing is that it's important to the person who's receiving them. The missionaries came and colonization started to happen, you know, tattooing stopped. It's been put to sleep for about a hundred years. Me coming in as a, as a young Inubel woman, you know, who am I to think that I could do something that my ancestors did so many years ago? When I asked the elders if it was okay to do this, they said, yes, you need to be strong. And now it's reawakening with this revitalization effort. I could feel that strength and I could feel that healing happening when uh, I give a tattoo. One of the beautiful things about tattooing is that a long time ago, it was meant to help us survive. It allowed us to acknowledge the, the spirits around us and honor the animals and honor the next generation. But now it's coming back as a way to heal from historic traumas. I think a really interesting side note to that then is how important it is to acknowledge that you know tribal tattoos are meaningful to groups of people right <laughs> and you know that's something that i think has been difficult or is continues to be difficult for the modern tattoo culture to understand and really you know modern culture as a whole to understand is that you know when groups of people have significant things and they say you know this is part of my heritage it was nearly taken from me and i'd really appreciate if you didn't do this on instagram yes. right yes. that you know that it's important to then respect those wishes yeah yeah absolutely right yeah. especially tattoos like just like you're saying they're like a marker that you're part of a group and then for you know anyone could just get tattoo flash or whatever of something that is such a you know sacred mark what kind of other material culture like pottery or um could maybe give us an insight into what those tattoos look like yeah well my of course mommy's being the big one right right um, but we don't yeah unfortunately but, in Florida, yeah. we don't have too many of those uh yeah i mean any effigy vessels right? right um you know anything that's made in the shape of a human or you know unfortunately then you sort of get into this question of you know is the is the being being 
is the being shown to you in those effigy vessels supposed to be a human? Right. Mm -hmm. Or is it something entirely different? Mm -hmm. You you know, how do you read the marks on those vessels? Mm -hmm. Um, Then you look at sort of the broader patterns of material culture. And if, if a motif is significant, if it connects a person with the other world or it, you know, invokes certain powers, if it shows up on houses, if it shows up on canoes, if it shows up on vessels, it's probably going to show up on the human body as well. Mm-hmm. Sure. There's really an interesting, I think, sort of thought about rock art in that same way, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that rock art is literally tattooing the body of the mother, right? That uh, uh, so many cultures anthropomorphize the earth. And so when you're carving or painting onto the earth, you are altering the shape of that that being, that creature that you perceive of. And so rock art being then synonymous with tattoos. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've never thought about that. That's a really cool perspective to have on rock art. I'm, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. And that really kind of ties into your Instagram. Yeah, we wanted to talk about that. We as well, really like, wanted really. to talk about that uh, at Archaeology Inc. on Instagram. What was your sort of motivation for, you know, jumping into that, that world of social media to kind of talk about this subject? Well, so it was inspired by, by a buddy of mine, uh, David Ian Howe who does ethnosynology at ethnosynology. So his is all about human dog interaction. Oh. Um, but he's an archaeologist as well. And so, you know, it's this sort of public messaging platform where, you know, I got to looking at his account and, you know, a number of these other sort of science-based accounts on Instagram. And, you know, that is, that is a great, maybe the best way to reach a certain segment of the public at this point, not just yeah. you know, like the American public or like the public in Tennessee, but on a global scale. Right. And group of really fantastic scholars looking at all different aspects of tattooing. And we're, you know, we're very connected to each other on social media and, you know, via direct connections, doing research together, publishing articles together, this kind of thing. But, you know, collectively we have this, this body of knowledge that has not been, I don't think transmitted to the public mm-hmm. very well. And so like even my own work, you know, like we've done these books, it's, Hey, look, I've done some academic books, but you know, how approachable are those to the people who are actually a part of the tattoo community today? Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good and you know, and I see my own failings in that, right? Like I'm trained as an academic, I'm writing academic articles, I'm writing academic books. I'm not putting out things that will actually share this information with the people for whom this is part of their livelihood. You know, mm-hmm. it's part of their tradition. It's part of mm-hmm. their day-to-day life. And so over the last year or two, I've been trying to work a lot harder to, you know, talk with people, um, you know, go to conferences, um, you know, reach out to, you know, historical societies, individuals, tattoo shops, things mm-hmm. like this. And the Instagram sort of comes out of that. Frankly, a lot of people who I would not run across or have these interactions with in my daily life. You know, the fact that I can have these interactions with people who are in the, you know, French hand poke tattoo community, right, is freaking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Digital world. And they have some really interesting ideas about how things are done and why things might have happened in the past. And so it becomes this dialogue then that I think is just good for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, That really wraps it up, man. Thank you. Is there any any links or anything you could tell the audience to find more about your work? Yeah, yeah. So, um... The, the Instagram account is at Archaeology Inc. I N K. That's sort of a new thing. We're I think coming in on ten thousand followers. So woo. Oh, awesome. um, so that's cool. Uh, I have a fair amount of my stuff online on Academia.edu. I have an account there. 
And anything that is out of copyright or that I have a proof of, I try to upload there. And so folks can find, can find those things free to download or free to view online. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the Materialist Podcast. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. That was a great interview, huh? Yeah, that was super great. I'm so glad that um, he had the time to talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again, Aaron. And uh, we really appreciate all your insight into this really um, unique subject, I guess. I mean, it's super, you, tattoos obviously aren't unique, right? Because we're, mm-hmm. we're one, we're doing a, a topic about it. So, and also everybody and their mother literally has tattoos now, thanks to those TV shows. Yeah, literally. Um, does your mom have a tattoo? She does not, but oh. she wants to get one. Oh, really? Mom. We're good. We're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My mom wants to get one too. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Tattooed moms next episode. (laughs) (laughs) But that was really exciting. And uh, he's uh, so insightful into the subject. But I think one thing that really hit home with me was when he mentioned the rock art. Yes. And talking about how the that one could interpret painting on on walls and on the sides of cliffs and wherever as basically tattooing the earth mother earth yeah and just think about those ones that you see where it's like the hand yeah. that's you know with the paint like sprayed around the handprint and just seeing it as a tattoo it's like you're putting that human hand like that connection permanently onto the earth yeah it, i thought that was a, a real beautiful way to kind of look at something that's a, not necessarily i mean archaeologists love petroglyphs it's so um and it's a you know it's a, a widely studied kind of facet of uh, north american archaeology and you know and archaeology from all over the world but um i've never heard it interpreted like that you know and i think that would only come from somebody that is kind of investigating something like tattoos on the level that aaron is looking at them you know yeah and he's i mean his re- work is really looking at tattoos globally and um so i think it's really interesting because he has such a broad perspective on the, yeah. the topic yeah and of course my my people from peru they were tattooed so it's all and people from europe I people all over the world yeah man the irish got tattoos back in the day yeah four leaf clovers yeah <laughs> get a leprechaun <laughs> on my lower back yeah. <laughs> my ancestors oh, lord can we also talk about and Aaron brought up agency. Yes. And tattoos and tattoo material culture. Yes, yes. And talking about like the tattoo implements and like bundles and um, their agency as these kind of ritual objects. We kind of gave him the thumbs up during the interview, as you heard, about using the word agency. And as we all know, sort of the whole prime kind of underlying focus of this entire podcast series is talking about objects having agency. So he really kind of brought that home in discussing the the physical connection, the physical material objects of the tattooing bundles, the, the ceremonial bundle kits. But then we kind of stumped him with the question well, I, I stopped him but. well uh, he said he never considered it you yeah. know like it what if tattoos themselves the actual art themselves are material culture yeah yeah and i i mean they absolutely are and even if we never found like an ancient piece of skin that had a tattoo on it they're still material culture even yeah. if they never preserve because they're in a physical object a physical mark made by people in a purposeful yeah. way and what's i mean that's material culture yeah 
it's a, a modification that you're choosing to make like to your body. Boom. I think, I think that's like what makes it, um, material culture. You know, he was talking about tattoo implements, having agency. What about our tattoos themselves? Do they have a, a pull on us? Do they constrain us or do they mm-hmm. push us in different directions? We might not go otherwise. Our actual tattoos. I don't, that's tough. Um, they certainly elicit a reaction. Yes. And I think like we were talking about at the beginning, like, do we get tattoos for ourselves? Do we get them to represent something yeah. to other people? Whatever your personal responses, you know, to that question, I think tattoos definitely provoke responses in in other people whatever your intention of you know the tattoo that you got they definitely call out to to other people to to look at or inquire after or to i don't know yeah i mean look at the holocaust survivors tattoos something that is so simplistic and and visually so simplistic has such a powerful um, way it communicates Right. That's above and beyond um, its original intent when it was forcefully put on that person. Right, right. By choosing to get tattooed, you're making a statement in a way about like where you want to, where you see yourself in society. I guess, I mean, lots of people, everybody has tattoos now, but um, getting like facial tattoos or tattoos on your neck or hands or like that sort of a thing. I don't know. I guess it can have consequences for the sorts of things that you can like jobs and things that you can do, I suppose. Maybe not so much now as it was in the past, but yeah. Body modifications are powerful kind of symbols of rebellion and, and now they're symbols of conformity, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Even tattoos that are a bit more like innocuous. I mean, just, you know, the kind of fashion of tattoos, which I think yeah. is really um, spurred on by social media, especially like Instagram. It's where you see like every 20 year old has the same floral armband yeah, tattoo right. or the same whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like a mm-hmm. infinity symbol or like. a. Mm-hmm. So there is this, you know, you're getting a tattoo to mark yourself as different. But maybe like the tattoo you're getting is just the same as like a lot of people get. Yeah, that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) But no regrets. No No regrets. (laughs) regrets. Do do you see any kinship in that kind of ceremonial process? Um, You know, I'm sure there's a shop out there that does (laughs) like approach that softer way. But most of the shops... Are driven, yeah, by a more capitalism yeah. approach. Yeah, true. When it came from like stick and poke to hurry up and have a line of sailors running them through and get the electric like speeding it up. It doesn't happen so much anymore because the machines are changing now. The actual tattoo machines that we use. Right. Um, but when I got started, we used to always put money on our machines because it was supposed to give us good luck and bring in the money. Oh, that's about, interesting. That's about as ceremonial as we got. Well, I think that's kind of part of it, though. I think the lack of the ceremony is also just as intriguing to me as the ceremony. Like The trend lately in tattooing is to go private studio and, like, kind of high-end or, like, very mellow and, like, less walk-in shop, right? So, like... If you're, if the ceremony is like that, it's like not in a big room full of people getting a bunch of tattoos all the time. The industry is kind of leaning towards that lately. No, the regalia that tattooers would 
have a regalia, like clothing that they would wear that was ceremonial. And I was like, every tattooer I've ever had has worn black pocket tees. So I was like, I, I was like, that's got to be like some kind of regalia, <laughs> like black T-shirts. Jeffy will tell you. <laughs> we, yeah, the old timers wore like more like regular clothes, and then they, 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 they called like the next generation the black black shirt generation. Hell yeah. But well, everybody wore black T-shirts. So time to wrap it up. Big thank you to our listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. And we encourage y'all to find us on all the social medias. Um, Reach out. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Podbeam, and Spotify, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, You can find us there and you can reach out to us. We love getting suggestions on uh, episode topics um, and also if you have any questions about previous episodes or anything just feel feel free to holler at us uh, through those venues like us and share we really encourage the uh, the whole social media interaction it's a it's kind of a big deal and they'll they'll boost us up particularly iTunes will boost us up in their rankings of a podcast to listen to if folks actually comment or you know rate the the podcast so do that pretty please if you'd like to email us at materialistspodcast at gmail.com that's materialistspodcast at gmail.com thank you to usf a special thank you to usf for you know employing us employing us yeah (laughs) thank you to all the fpan regions if you would like more information on fpan the florida public archaeology network please go to fpan.us thank you to have gun will travel for uh, uh, the intro music silver in the age of opulence find out more information about the awesome band have gun will travel at hgwtmusic.com they are also on the facebook at hgwtmusic Thank you to Aaron Dieterwolf um, for joining us. Uh, go check out um, Aaron's uh, Instagram yeah. at Archaeology Inc. Yeah. on Instagram. Um, he has he puts up such cool pictures and has such amazing information about um, tattoos, tattoo like culture all over the world um, from all different time periods so definitely go check it out it's am- it's really an amazing um, Instagram page and it's not just it's not just pictures like he like gives like tons of information yeah, so about cool. each each representation so yeah check it out um, at archaeology Inc on Instagram and big thank you to mr. Mark Parrish and Jeffy Scott from Wonderland custom tattooing here in Gainesville. I appreciate y'all's patience with me and my recorder. Mark, I'm very impressed that you're able to hold a conversation while you were making art. Uh, It's not something I could do. So thanks a lot, guys. If anybody is interested in getting some good custom tattoo work, I highly recommend the folks at Wonderland. Check them out at wonderlandtattoo.com read the show notes there's lots of lots of information on the show notes lots of stuff that we've covered links to guests uh, uh publications and writings and you know all this cool stuff is all in the show notes thanks nigel thank you miss becky yeah. um for coming and uh we will catch everybody on the flippity flip bye Tattoo, babe. Not another tattoo. Ha. No part of these.
your income says. Yeah. It's like an art show the moment that I get undressed. Yeah. At every job interview, they're just so impressed. Really? Cause I got all my ex-wives on my chest. <laughs> Over here is Clay Aiken, there's a side of bacon. Huh. And a minotaur pedal fighting with Satan. Yeah. Next to Hello Kitty and a zombie ice skating. Yeah. Wait, yeah. it's Ronald Reagan. I've got these dragons, I've got these dolphins. Yeah. All inscribed on me indelibly. indelibly. I've had bad reactions, yeah. bad infections, yeah. even hepatitis C. Tennessee. My friends think that I need therapy. therapy. Couple square inches left. Uh, maybe a. Square. 